Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. But to help point us to Jesus today, I want to invite Daniel Diaz today. He's got an amazing story uh, that you are going to be blessed by, you're going to love, uh, and most importantly, you're going to feel closer to Jesus after it than you did when you came in today. So welcome, Daniel. Good morning. Great song. God is good, right? And uh, whether we believe it or not, uh, he will never let us down. For those of you out there and in here, if you're feeling a little hopeless or your faith is a little shaky this morning, I'm here to share Jesus' story of redemption and transformation in my life. My name is Daniel, and uh, I was born and raised in California. Uh, I do not remember anything before the age of nine because the abuse was so bad. And then at nine, I started to smoke weed and drink. Uh, My mom and dad got a divorce at that time. My dad moved to Washington. My mom and sister stayed in California, and I don't know why I went with my dad. Probably just a little boy wanting to be with his dad. But I moved out there with him. And he got married super quick, and I had some stepbrother and a stepsister and a new stepmom. And the abuse even got worse because... I started taking and jumping in for them because I felt like I was already used to it. So I didn't want them to take it. So I would just jump in for them. And that went on for quite a while. Um, During that period, if it got too bad, I would run to my mom. And uh, she was a single mom. And she worked from all morning and all night. So when I'd go out to California, I would get in a lot of trouble. And I would start to get a little wild. And the drug use would get a little worse. And then when I couldn't pass school, I would run back to Washington and I'd go just jump into the next grade and I learned to manipulate at a very young age. And I did that and I kept doing that till I was about 15. At 15, um, I learned, I got put into boxing and um, I learned that I found a way for my anger to be dispensed. I was just always angry as a kid and I was very anxious. I didn't know what I was going to when I was coming home. Sometimes my dad would be super happy and give me money to go buy candy. And sometimes I'd just walk in and he would just start abusing me or hitting me for something that I did or didn't do or didn't know that I did. So once I started boxing, man, I just, I became really good. I, uh, and the abuse started to lessen a little bit, but came more towards like working out. Like he would drop me off like five or six miles away and tell me to run home and I had to be home at a certain time or I'd have to do this or that. And so... Once I was boxing, I just, I just became so good that I started traveling. And then my coaches wanted me to travel national. So at 17, uh, my coach asked me to, with my dad standing right there, he was like, hey, uh, we want you to travel. We want you to travel around the U.S. and we want you to start maybe thinking about going pro or, or doing some things like that. And my dad was standing there and he got super excited. And um, at that moment, I just felt like this is my payback. So I looked at him, and I was like, this is what makes you happy? And he was like, yeah, I'm super excited for you, son. And I was like, great, I quit. And I took one of the worst beatings of my life. I tried to fight back at this time, and it didn't work out. And uh, I went to my mom's from there. And I never see my dad again until way later in life. At that time, man, it just went downhill. When I went to my mom's, I started smoking crack. I started shooting methamphetamines. I started using a lot of acid and just started just really using a lot of drugs. I was just super 
hateful and super angry, and I just didn't know why all the time. And uh, so my mom, I was just losing, my mom was losing control. I was out of control. I was going in and out of jail. And at 22, I was already a full-blown junkie, and I was just trying, just tired of being, just letting everybody down. So I decided I wanted to go to school in Wyoming. I always wanted my dad to teach me how to work on cars, so I went to uh, Wild Tech to be a mechanic. And I went out there, and I still smoked weed and drank, but I, I kind of let everything else go, and I graduated something for the very first time in my life, and I, I had a little bit of hope, and I met this woman. <clears throat> she's amazing. Her name was Tammy, and uh, she's my ex-wife now, but we got married, and we moved to Denver, and things were going great, and my son was born in 1993, and I was ecstatic, man. That was like the best thing that's ever happened to me, and all I wanted to do was be a better dad than uh, my dad was. And so I, you know, told him right there, I was like, man, I'm going to be the best dad I could be for you. And uh, a bunch of circumstances happened here in Denver, and there was a lot of opportunities somewhere else. And so we went to try to, you know, build our life. And so we moved to Texas, and it didn't work out. And we ended up just traveling and moving all over, and we ended up back in California. The moment I hit those grounds, I had a needle back in my arm. And... Within 30 days, my wife was like, no, not doing this, that you're crazy. I'm not having anything to do with this. Don't know who this person is. And so she left and came back to Denver with my son. I stayed out there for a little while and got in a, you know, a bunch of trouble, and I, I just wanted to be with my son and my wife, so I came back out here. And um, it was like two years later. It was about a year and a half, and it was 1995, and I came out here back to Denver, and I brought a lot of drugs and um, there wasn't a lot of drugs in Denver at that time from where California was. And within 30 days of trying to get back with my wife, I ended up taking a life. And um, I got a 45-year sentence to prison. And uh, when I now, when I was going through the prison gate, not only was I angry and hateful, now I hated myself, and I was miserable, and I just, I didn't understand all of these things that were going on. And uh, now I also know that I just became worse than my father. So I walked through the prison gates, and um, I was scared, and I was unsure. And uh, I decided that uh, I was going to get with some like-minded people, so I joined one of the most violent prison gangs in the penitentiary. It was a white supremacist gang, and... They hate everybody, and so I felt like I belonged right in there, and I got with some like-minded people because I hated myself, and I started um, causing a bunch of destruction on the yard. And then I got introduced to heroin, and I started shooting heroin, and I started selling drugs, and I started running the penitentiary. And when you're in the penitentiary and you're not acting right, they also have a place for you, and it's called administrative segregation. And so in 2004, I went into prison in 1995. In 2004, they put me in a place, administrative segregation, a box. And it was 23-hour lockdown, which is really 24-hour lockdown. And I spent the next seven years there. And as you can imagine, like being in your bathroom, the first five years were miserable and horrible. And um, I was just lost. And I was still angry. And I was finding out that I couldn't blame anybody else because I was in this box by myself and I was angry all the time. And I was like, there was nobody else to blame. And I was just super lost. And after five years, they gave me a, a, 
they gave me a chance to come out. And I was out for literally 18 hours. And a guy got beat up on uh, in the prison yard. And um, so they came to me and arrested me and said that I made it happen because I was a shot caller. And they put me right back in this box. And at that moment, I was so hopeless. I was didn't want to live. I didn't want to... I just didn't want to do anything anymore. I was, this is the end of the road, right? I was coming back to a place that was hell. And um, at that moment, so just to back up a little bit, when I was younger, my dad used to make us go to church every Sunday. And um, it was the worst place that I ever went to because if when every time we came out, I was either getting beat or slapped around or he was drinking because I was either talking or laughing or sleeping or moving. And so religion and church sucked for me but at 12 I met the Holy Spirit at a youth camp and um, it was an amazing one or two days but there was nobody in my life to sustain that for me so when I was going back in this box literally the Holy Spirit came upon my heart and said look you could go be this monster that you think you are or you are trying to be but you can walk with me and I'll bless you And if you're not happier, you can always come back to this evil. It'll always be there. And that was literally in my heart. So I dropped to my knees and I gave my life to Jesus right there in that box. And I said, okay, now what? So I called my mom. My mom was my, my mom was my rock through this whole thing. Um, bless her heart. She just passed away three weeks ago. Hi, Bob. And, uh, so I called and I said, Hey mom, I need a Bible. And we have a TV in AdSeg too. So, I got my Bible and I started reading it, and I was terrified of God too. He was my father, so every time I would read Father, I was terrified of him. Like I'd be like, "Oh, I'm doing something wrong, man. I, I don't know if I can do this." <clears throat> I was always told that I was going to hell as I was younger because everything I did wrong, if I cussed, I did this, that I was going to hell. So God literally had to break me down to a little child, and for the next two years in that box, He just taught me. And he just taught me the way he wanted me to. And Jesus just showed me how to have grace and mercy and compassion and love. But most of all, he had to teach me how to forgive myself and forgive my dad. And literally, when I mean teach, <clears throat> I'd be watching a show. And uh, I was watching a certain uh, religious church. And they'd be like, you have to be on your knees for hours. And you have to be in this closet for hours. And you have to be doing this and reading your Bible for hours. And I'd literally click the TV off and be like, okay, God, that's not for me. I can't do that. So we have an issue here. <clears throat> and literally, the next TV show that would come on would be, just give me five minutes. Just give God five minutes each day and allow him just to show you what he needs. And so I started giving God five minutes a day. I started reading the daily bread with one verse out of the Bible. And then I started reading the Psalms. And then I started reading the Proverbs. And I started just, just slowly just got Jesus just teaching me. The biggest part was the forgiveness. So I wrote my dad a letter. I found out where he was. He was in the penitentiary in Kansas. And I wrote him a letter. And uh, I just forgave him. And then I had to learn how to forgive myself. And that was the hardest part for me, was learning to forgive myself. And I still struggle with that every day. Um, I know that I'm forgiven. And I know that uh, I'm going to heaven. But when you carry somebody else's life on your heart, it uh, it's a lot. And I try every day and I work every day to redeem that, redeem that, even though I know I'm already redeemed. 
So for two years, he taught me and he showed me and he broke down and was trying to teach me about anger and trying to teach me about my emotions. I had no emotions. So they changed the laws and they said it was cruel and unusual punishment to keep all of us in the in this ad seg is what I call it or the box for all these years. And so they let us all out and we went to Sterling Correctional Facility and we were all out on the yard. And um, so I was like, all right, God, I said, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how tough you are. When you have all these people on the yard, you can't win. So I was like, all right, I'm going to still go to church, but I still got to go be this guy over here. And I'm a, I was a high-ranking gang member, and I had to go do things over here. So for two months, I was going to church, but God had already started to transform and change my mind and my heart without me even knowing, like, it was just crazy. And so every time something would happen, I would cause peace or I'd have a different solution be like, here, let's do this, or let's do this instead of violence. And um, it didn't go over very well. <laughs> so these guys came to me, and they were like, look, man, you are not the same guy. You are not even close. We see you. We're watching you walk around, and uh, what we're going to do is offer you a retirement, in the first retirement ever, and we just want you to go that way. And it says in Psalms, God will let your enemy eat at your feet, and he literally let it, my enemy eat at my feet. And there was also at that same moment four other guys that walked out with me with no violence, no repercussions, no nothing. And so at that moment, <clears throat> I was standing in the middle of the yard because we get to go outside too. And I was like, all right, God, I said, I've ostracized, beat up, or done something to this side of this prison. And I'm not hanging out with this side no more. So what do I do? Who do I talk to? Who do I walk with? Who am I going to be around? And on, uh, so in Sterling, there's two sides of the prison. There's a high side where there's guys with a bunch of time or lifers that are never getting out or gang members that are just causing a bunch of trouble. And then there's an east side, which guys are getting ready to go home or just have a little bit of time or are doing the right thing. So on the high side, they have a dog program, and it's really hard to get into. Nobody ever gets to get in there because most of the lifers are in there, and it's a great job. So literally after I asked God that, the next morning two guys got in a fight in the dog program. And one of the Christian brothers came to me and said, hey, I would love for you to come in this dog program. And I want you to come talk to our boss. And I got in the dog program and I started learning how to train dogs. And uh, so with that, what happened was God was starting to just transform my heart some more. I started to learn how to love again. I started to learn how to care for something. I started to just be able to walk and then I didn't have to meet anybody because when you have a dog with you, people come and they talk to you. They say, hey, can I pet your dog? And so I started to just meet new people, and people started to see a different me that when they were, used to be scared of me, now they've seen a different me and were wanting to talk to me. So God, was his light was just shining on people. And so also with this, man, my mind was going crazy. So I used to just be a manipulator, and I was trying to find out how to get drugs in the prison. I, was, I had all these ideas on how to beat people up and get away with it, how to do this, how to do that, da-da-da-da-da. God took all of that and turn it into a positive, and how to make the prison better, how I can talk to guys before other gang members get to them. So I was talking to administration, and I was like, man, I have all these ideas. And they just really didn't believe that I was out of this gang life yet. <clears throat> and there was one guy, Ryan Long, who's now a warden in, uh, in the Denver DRDC. He was a case manager three. He sat down with me and was just listening, and, and he was the first guy that really just just gave me some affirmations and some positivity and some reward. And the more reward he gave me, the more I wanted. So 
I was like, man, this is way better than this punishment, right? So I was like, man, these rewards are great. And so finally, he was like, listen, I went up to the top, and I asked if I could move you to the east side so you can start some of your programs. And they told me that as soon as I do something wrong, I'm going to lose my job. And, but I'm going to take a chance on you. And so I went to the east side, and I started, I opened up all these programs and started talking to brand new guys coming into the penitentiary, and it was, it was amazing. But I still didn't know what was wrong with me, man. I was still angry. I was still hurt. I was still all of these things that I didn't know. So I went to this program called TC. It was a therapeutic community. And they started teaching me about core beliefs and about things that were going on inside me. And that I knew nothing about. I didn't even know about emotions. They made me carry an emotional wheel around. And somebody would ask me every day, what are you feeling? And I had to figure out what I was feeling. I was so emotionally abused and so mentally abused, too, that I just didn't know how to feel anymore. And once I started learning these, man, I was like, man, I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. I'm hopeless. I'm weak. Weak is a big one for me. Um, Scared. A monster. I believe that I'm a monster. You know, I was a bad kid. I'm a bad father. And all these things that are inside that I don't want nobody else to see that comes out in anger and punching people in the face or putting a needle in my arm. Now I learned how to challenge these things. And what really was great is I just was able to put a word to it. So if I was embarrassed, I knew what embarrassment was now. I could just deal with embarrassment. And once that happened, man, God just started to crumble all the rest of the hate and anger off of my heart. And there was just this little kid that just wanted to love and be loved. And he just started to run wild, man. And God started filling me. And I was going to churches. And, and I, was, I was worshiping. I'm a great worshiper. I love to worship. And uh, he just started filling my heart with all this love. And so I started just doing more programs and teaching more programs. And more gang members start following. And more people started working. And in 2016, after 20 years, I finally got a chance to come out of prison. And I was going to a program called Pier One. It's one of the hardest programs in the nation right here in Denver. And I was super excited, but I was afraid. I was afraid of the world, and uh, I didn't know what to do. So I went to this program, and what I did was I took all this knowledge and all this program robot stuff that I had, and I just started to try to fix everybody else. I put God right here, and I said, I'm just going to go fix everybody else because I'm super scared, and I don't know what to do with this world. And what happened was I fell on my face. I met Jesse at that time, but I fell on my face. I didn't commit no more crimes, and I didn't go drink a drug, but I did walk away because I was so overwhelmed. But God made me come back after two days and walk back in and say, here I am, and I made a mistake. And I went back to prison for four years for that mistake. But in the process of that, when I went to the county jail, God was like, you cannot be afraid. I had everything for you. It was right here, and I, was, I taught you everything you needed to know to go forward, and I can't do anything with you if you're afraid. So I went back to prison for four years, continued to do what I do. I was teaching programs and helping people and, and doing what I do, and I got another shot. Well, at that time, in 2016, I met this um, on the phone, uh, a gentleman named Pastor B. He runs the Denver Dream Center in Denver. And I started talking to him, and he was like, man, I need you to come out here. I need you to be a part of my program. And he goes, you would fit in great. So I tried to parole there. They said no. I tried to go to a halfway house. They said no. I tried to parole again. They said no. And every time, God was showing me something different. He was showing me something bigger. And I'd get a no, and I'd get mad. And I'd be like, why, God? What are you showing me? 
Why would you give me this and then take it away from me? And the one thing that I learned when I was in that box, and it was great, is in the Psalms with David, is that I get to be able to talk to God in my way and just be challenge him and be like, why? You know, I don't understand. I can be mad at God. I can tell him what's going on. I can do all of this. That's my relationship, right? doesn't mean that I stop praying. It doesn't mean that I stop reading the word. And it doesn't mean that I don't stop worshiping. It just means that I get to be able to tell him how I feel. And it's okay. And he's there. And he understands. <clears throat> so I'm like, God, why? Why do you keep showing me all these wonderful things and you just take it away from me? And he just told me, just keep being patient. Just keep being patient. So after four years, the patience came to, you get to go back to Pier 1 again. I was like, no, not doing that. He's like, yeah, you get to go back to Pier 1. So I said, all right, here I go. I'm going back to Pier 1. Nobody else wants me. So I went back to Pier 1, and then it was COVID. And so it was just settled. And I just got to just concentrate on me and just... I didn't have to go to the world. I didn't have to do any of these things, and I didn't have to be afraid. I just got to sit there and just work on me. So for seven months, you don't get to go anywhere at Pier 1. And uh, as soon as that seven months was over and I got to go to work, I ran to the Dream Center. And uh, the moment that I walked through the front door at the Dream Center, I was safe for the very first time in my life. I'd never been safe as a kid, and I never was safe in the penitentiary because I was a violent gang member. And then I walked away from a gang, and I always thought they were coming after me. So I walked up, and I started talking to Pastor B, and I was just, I started crying, and I was like, man, I'm home. What do you want me to do? He was like, I just want you to volunteer. I just want you to just dream and just slow down and just take a breath. And I said, okay. So I started volunteering once a week. I had a job, and I would volunteer on Tuesdays was my day off. <clears throat> and for a month, I was working at uh, this company in Denver, and, uh, on Wednesdays, and I'd come back into work, man, they, my boss would be like, why are you so happy? What's going on at this Dream Center? And I'd be like, man, listen, I get to go to the streets, and I'm helping the homeless, man, and I get to talk to these youngsters, and I get to talk to this youth that are coming out from different states doing ministry work. And I said, man, it's just amazing there. And he was like, well, what's going to happen? What if they offer you a full-time job or something? And I was like, man, I'm gone. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to leave. I don't think that's going to happen right now, but... If that ever happens, I'm leaving. And he was like, well, listen, I don't want to train you no more or give any more of my time to you if you're going to walk that way. And I said, okay. I said, uh, thank you for the opportunity. And so I went right back to the Dream Center and said, Pastor B, I just got fired because I get to volunteer here. And he was like, well, great. Now I can just put you on staff. Let's go. And uh, so I've been on staff over there for a little over a year. I just graduated their discipleship program, which is um, what I get to lead today. Um, and the great thing was, is Pastor B just let me repurpose my life, right? And he just, uh, he just started slowly implementing me into pro-social activities and slowly just uh, with volunteers and telling my story and just, uh, you know, allowing me to grow and be who God wanted me to be. And once that happened and I started getting confident and I started getting comfortable, God started kicking down doors. And so now I run this discipleship program. I'm a, a re-entry guy. I bring guys out of the penitentiary. Um, I work with them in the halfway house, and I just allow them to catch a breath. That's what I call it, because no matter how long, no matter what programming I had, and no matter how much I can challenge my feelings, it didn't help me to walk into a Walmart after 25 years. It didn't help me to uh, order food with somebody that was right next to me, and they were like, oh, I'll have this, this, and this, and I got a menu that's huge, and I'm like, holy moly, what the heck? 
And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at it, and I start feeling stupid, and I'm like, all these people are watching me, so I'll be like, okay, I'll just have what they're having. And uh, so today, I get to walk to those guys and be like, hey, man, nobody's watching you. Nobody's looking at you. Take your time. Enjoy what you want. And uh, so God's just been repurposing and doing a lot. And uh, I just wanted to just, you know, tell you guys that, you know, the grace and the mercy that he shows me every day is what I get to show everybody else every day. And... Um, the biggest thing he gave me uh, was affirmations. And uh, so the thing that I love to do and I love to tell people every single day, it doesn't matter if I'm at a drive through or at a grocery store, is that you all are amazing and you're worthy and you're valuable and you're lovable, you're strong, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're needed, you're appreciated, you're good enough, you're forgiven, you're cherished, and you guys all matter. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Thank you. Man, thank you. I, I hope that you can see some of your own story in Daniel's. Sometimes we hear these stories and we think they're so far from our own experience. They're so far from what we've done or who we've been that we can't connect. And yet, there are many people, even in this room, even listening right now, who, who have that same issue with the Father. They read Father in the Scripture, and they don't have anybody to connect to. There are so many people right now who feel like they're in a box, they're stuck, they're alone. There's nobody around to support or be with them. And the Holy Spirit is there with you, telling you right now, I was with Daniel there, I'm with you now, I'm here. There are so many people who don't know that at the deepest level, all they really want is love and belonging and that affirmation, my brother. So... The, there are so many places where we can look at our own lives and go, you know what? I've been there. I'm there too. I feel that. And so even though we don't have the same story, it is, it is the same story of grace for each of us. And this is what I love about Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And that is Daniel's story today, and that can be your story. I hope that's your story. That you can say, along with the Apostle Paul, along with Daniel, along with me, I was dead in my trespasses, but God, in his love and grace, has adopted me and made me for his good purposes and his good works. And so I hope that you will own that affirmation that Daniel just gave you. You are forgiven. You matter. You are loved. You are worthwhile. You are worthy. 
Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.